Passing the Mic, the VC exchange, influencing social change for women in venture capital and for female entrepreneurs. Real stories, insider knowledge, unlocking the power of diversity. With host Neil Dempsey, managing general partner of Bay Partners, ranked as a top 100 venture capitalist on the Forbes Midas list. Today, we chat with strong, successful female venture capitalist, Tracy Killer and Chadwell. In today's discussion, lawyers can become great venture capitalists. Tracy is proof. There's an advantage that comes with age and those advantages open new doors. And all female leadership teams bring new insights to established companies. Tracy Killer and Chadwell is the founding partner of 1843 Capital, a venture capital fund focused on early stage technology companies. Through her work, she hopes to change the way we view and experience aging. In 2021, Tracy was named to Forbes Magazine's inaugural 50 over 50 list, and in 2019 to Entrepreneur Magazine's list of 100 powerful women. Notable investments include Beauty Counter, exited $1 billion, Tempo Automation, and May Mobility. Formerly, she was a partner at Baker Capital, a $1 billion growth capital fund, and a VP at Robertson Stevens. She is a current board member at Recuro Health, advisory board member at Fin.ai, Corsha, and Millennium Technology Venture New Horizons Fund. She is also an advisor UBS project entrepreneur and board member of Early Stage Montana. Well, thanks for joining us. It's all fun to have you. Tracy, tell us about why you started 1843 Capital. Well, Neil, uh, 1843 Capital was started in 2018. And um, one of the reasons I founded it is, well, first of all, because I saw so much tremendous opportunity to invest in great technology companies. But the other fact that women only receive 2.4% of venture capital dollars and women also only manage 3% of venture dollars. So I saw given my experience, my reputation and skill set that I could really be additive in this space. And, and it was a shame not for me to use the skill set. Fabulous. Um, how does 1843 Capital approach the, uh, your investment strategy? We have a very specific investment strategy. We have decided that there is an incredible opportunity out there in something that we call silver tech. So silver tech is what other people might call elder tech or age tech. It's, it's solutions around longevity. And the way that we do it is not to sit and wait for deal flow to come to us. I know a lot of people will often remark that they have proprietary deal flow and that they're the only ones that are seeing certain things from their network. We've taken an opposite approach. We think that it's really the calls you make versus the calls that you take. So we start out with the theory that, you know, there's a lot of opportunity around an $8 trillion economy and to try to focus on specifically where companies might be building solutions that are necessary and where there's adequate payers and interest and then go so, from there. So the real reason besides the, the skill set of your firm uh, is that market is just tremendously big. $8 billion, you said? No, $8 trillion. Sorry, $8 trillion, excuse me. Yes. Going to $20 trillion by 2030. It's, it's really incredible. It's where all the need and all the capital is. So um, before you became a venture capitalist and started this firm, uh, you were a lawyer. Yes. Tell us how you made that transition from being a uh, high-powered lawyer to a 
Hyde Park venture capitalist. Oh, thanks, Neil. Well, I, you know, I started out practicing law because my dad was a lawyer. And he said that there's only, you know, the only sure thing in life is death and taxes. So if you become a lawyer and go into estate planning or or tax planning, that you really will always have work for life. And uh, while that was probably true, it wasn't very inspiring. And I worked for a merchant banking firm. I, I, while I was in law school, I worked in a law firm in Tokyo and came back and then worked for a merchant banking firm doing cross-border work between the U.S. and Asia. And I was doing a lot of their legal work and their corporate formation. And I just became really frustrated because my personality is that of a builder. It's not someone who tears down people and tears down companies and rips things apart. Um, I find law to be a very zero-sum game. To the extent that you win something in a document, somebody else has to lose. And that's not who I am. So I asked to move over to the finance sort of things and And one of the first things I did was take a class in financial modeling at the University of Chicago Business School so that I could get into it. And then through that experience, I just grew to love it and really found my place. You mentioned earlier only 2.4% of uh, venture capital founders are women. women, We know that's really what this podcast is all about. So you're among those founders who took the leap. What has been the hardest part about starting your own fund and taking the leap from being a lawyer to now in a very accomplished venture capitalist? I I think, um, you know, when you're working for any large organization and I, you know, I worked for a merchant banking firm, I worked for an investment bank called Robertson Stevens, um, and then I worked for a large venture capital fund that was had a billion dollars under management. You have infrastructure. And when you're starting your own thing, you have to have a a huge appetite for risk, which I do have. I, I have the risk gene in spades. But then also, too, an understanding that you're taking on a lot of administrative burden as well. And, you know, fortunately, as the funds become larger, we've been able to, to add people to help me out with that. But I didn't realize when I started this that I was going to have to wear, you know, three or four different hats in the firm, you know, whether it's managing the current portfolio, sourcing new deals, raising the fund, but then also to the administrative piece of it. And it's it's really constantly switching jobs all day long. Given all your success, you were recently named the, uh, in the Forbes 50 over 50. You, you, you're, you're one of the leading women in VC and have proven success, hedge proven, proving success has no age limit. What what is your take on ageism in the venture capital industry, and what what your is your advice for other women who are trying to enter this venture capital at later stages in their careers? Right, I th- I think for anybody trying to get back into the workforce after they've taken a little bit of time off or or pivoting and changing to something later in life, I think that there's some skepticism on the part of people who haven't done that, people who have sort of done what's expected of them and, and marched up the ladder. And so, you know, in, in venture capital, sure, we see a lot of people starting firms now in their 20s and 30s. And, you know, it's really interesting for me to watch. And I'm, I'm a cheerleader for all of them. Absolutely. But I do think there's really something to be said for people in their 50s or even in their 60s starting firms, because those are the people that actually have the experience and the network. And those are two really critical things. I say one of the things I love about being older is that all my friends are older and really powerful. So I can I can pick up the phone and really get a lot of things done in one phone call that might take someone weeks to do. Are there barriers that, that still exist? 
I think that there might be people that say, you know, I want to give young people a chance. So I'm going to focus all my energy and attention on helping give young people a chance. And, you know, I think, look, you know, part of what we invest in is supporting people, changing what they're doing later in life. You know, the Stanford Center for Longevity just put out a a map of your life that's new that suggests that we're going to have 60 years of useful work life. And it's going to be broken down into three 20-year career segments. So we're just going to be seeing more and more of this and more and more people deciding to take a chance and and doing something that really is probably their calling and their purpose, you know, uh, later in life. And I think that we need to give those people a chance as well. How do you get people to take this leap, the leap uh, that you're one one recruit to your firm or maybe older than than, uh, you know, someone in their early 40s? What is your process of getting people interested in this and taking a leap of faith, so to speak, from from where they are today to come into your work for you and your firm? Sure. I think that one of the things that makes us really attractive is um, being unique, that we have um, been incredibly creative in sourcing what we consider to be one of the most exciting opportunities to invest in. And we're, we're just one of a handful of firms that has already seen this. So that's that's the first thing. But then also, too, I think it's respect and a positive attitude. So to the extent that, uh, you know, um, myself and the other leadership in the firm are willing to listen to people and respect them, I think, you know, someone of any age would want to join us. I think that there are so many opportunities out there now for people. And, um, you know, I was just reading an article, too, that's saying that, you know, sort of browsing LinkedIn for job opportunities is is the new entertainment. People are no longer on Netflix. They're, they're browsing right. job opportunities. Correct. So there's lots and lots of opportunities. But um, I think that there are still limited opportunities in the venture capital space. Um, so we just we just kind of continue to do our best work and invest in what we think are really exciting opportunities. And and the people that see that will be the ones that will want to join us. What is different about the dynamic of an all-female team? Because you've worked on teams with men and women and mostly men, probably. Yeah, well, but, you know, one of the first principles I have, Neil, is that everyone has value and that differentiated viewpoints are always welcome and lead to a better product and outcome. So in terms of working with female leadership, you know, I I had great experiences working with all male leadership teams. And I thought that there was a lot of interesting viewpoints and and things that I could learn that way. Um, And now we are in all female leadership. And there definitely is some differences. There are, um, you know, we feel more more comfortable talking about our families. And I think that uh, as, as, you know, teams start to diversify that people will feel. I, I think that men should feel as comfortable talking about their families as, as women do, but but we do do that. Um, we're very comfortable sharing things that that we feel are challenges. And, and it's very easy for us to reach out and ask for advice instead of um, what I perceived when I worked for all-male teams is that a lot of times people, instead of asking for advice, made up a decision that they were right first and then just pushed that agenda through. We're much more um, open to listening to the different viewpoints and to learning from each other, I think. We, well, you know, we obviously need a lot more women in this business and in private equity and all, all faces of, uh, of this industry. Who's going to set the stage for the next generation of women in this industry? How do we do that? What kind of blowtorch do we need to to make the world really aware of this and and really how effective women have been. I mean, it's proven by several studies, including the one by Bain, that the the women-led funds and women-led opportunities that they're investing in are more successful than all-male teams. So 
What do we need to do? First of all, Neil, I would call you out as being one of the leaders in the space. And and thank you for really bringing a lot of this to light and to consider it and to, to you know, give give a lot of credence behind it because I think as we all start to work together and start to look at the assets that people of all different you know races colors creeds bring to the table um you know we can we can collaborate and move this world further so thank you so much for for bringing light to the fact that that women managers can be successful and thank you for being an investor in our fund um, I think another way that we can continue to do this, besides just talking about it, is also to encouraging allocators to take a, a, a stronger look at female managers and people of color. Um, you know, I know that uh, the University of Chicago or Ch- uh, California is starting to to start to do this. The UC system is really starting to put a lot of efforts behind this, and they've met with over 100 managers in this space. Um, but to the extent, you know, it's the pension fund dollars that really count the most. And traditionally, like they say, you don't get fired for, you know, for backing IBM. Um, You also don't get fired for backing, you know, Sequoia or Kleiner Perkins or KKR. And a lot of the fund managers are traditional teams and they keep doing that because their boards are approving that. And if we could bring a little more insight to the boards and to the allocators at at both the large pension levels and then, you know, endowments and foundations um, to back some of these newer teams, I think that we're all going to be better off for it. What do you do to, to tell those pension managers to take a look at all these opportunities that are female-driven or female-run? What do we have to do to do that? It's tough. There's not a lot of access, right? Um, you know, because they're such large allocators, they sort of keep the doors closed. But I, I think things are changing. I think the messaging is is starting to get through. They're starting to hear some of this. Um, but it's it's allowing them the courage as well. And maybe that should come from the board level that's saying, look, we, we realize that you feel you're going to take a risk, but this is what we want you to do. So you're now raising fund too. And are you in, are you in discussions with any of these large allocators about convincing them that this is a good place to start? Yeah, one of the problems, um, you know, and and it does come up and people ask me about what it's like being a female manager. Um, But uh, one of the problems right now is that traditional private equity and venture capital firms have spent their money very, very quickly. So instead of coming back after four years, they've been coming back after two and they're swallowing up every last dollar. So the dollars that were going to the emerging managers are now going back to the larger managers who are coming back. And instead of raising a $200 million fund, they're raising 500. Instead of raising 500, they're raising 6 billion. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a simple thing too. It's, it's hard work to really diligence a new manager and to get the conviction that you can back them. It's a lot easier to put another hundred million behind somebody that you've already been in business with for 25 years. Right. So it's, it's difficult, but you're making, you're at least they're taking the meetings that you, when you call and ask for one and you, and you've been this, you've been through this, you saw them when you raised your first fund. Um, some of them, you know, a lot of them would not take a phone call with a fund that was raising less than a hundred million. I think that's another barrier that's been coming down. People have been saying, okay, we're no longer going to make a hundred you know, sort of a, a barrier to entry because it's a very natural way to keep new people out. Um, so no, the, the the meetings have been really terrific and productive and we're, we're definitely making some headway, especially in the foundation space. So you have a little, a little bit of confidence that one or two of those will really 
sign up at some point in this process? Absolutely. In yeah. fact, um, we're getting close to having the whole fund soft circled, which is oh. a really oh good. And, and how big is the fund going to be? Yeah, so seventy five million, wow. and um, it's it's a lot of uh, foundations that have been talking to us. But then you know, also too, Neil. The high net worth family office space has grown exponentially. We've seen it over the last 10 years go from 1,000 family offices to 8,000 family offices. Mm-hmm. So, you know, to get our fund done, we only need about, you know, 10 of those family offices and we're done. So there's all kinds of aspiring uh, Tracy Chadbulls out there. What, 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 what kind of advice are you going to give to these fabulous aspiring women to get into our business? You know, I think I think first and foremost to get some really valuable experience. I, I am seeing people jumping to managing funds when they're in their twenties and early thirties, and um, I think it just might be a little bit early. I think that uh, you know one of the things that's helped me is that I've been through some very serious recessions. You know, I've been through the heydays of the nineteen nineties. I've been through you know, 9-11. I've been through the mortgage back crisis of 2007 and 2008, and I really have learned a lot from mistakes that happened during that time. And if you don't have time to either make the mistakes yourself or see them, you're just bound to repeat them. So this industry is a spectacular industry, but what really excites you the most about it and what you're doing and how you're doing it and what kind of progress you've made in a very short period of time? Oh, thanks so much, Neil. You know, I think one of it's just always exciting to be in a space of innovation, right? I say we're in the business of hope. And I really love early stage investing because that is the the case where it's not just financial engineering. I mean, we do have a fair amount of, of financial engineering and, and analysis, but then also, too, there's a lot of potential for us to get in and help the company, give them strategic guidance, help them build their board, you know, help them build out their team. And, uh, and I really, really love that part of it. And I think that we're really blessed to be living in the United States. This is just the center of the world for innovation. Um, you know, we, we are in a place where people are not afraid to take chances, mm. are not afraid to think out the outside of the box and, and not to have to do something in lockstep. And so to be able to be a part of that and to be able to, to fund people's dreams and participate the, in them, I can't think of a better job. What surprised you the most when you pivoted from being a lawyer to venture capital? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, there's lots of different uh, of different things that, you know, and, and I haven't been a lawyer for 20 years. So but I still do. I still do. Use <laughs> lottery, you know, which is which is great. And of course, time, you know, and as you know, Neil, boy, you know, when things go south, when things are great, nobody looks at the documents. Right. But when things go south, that's the first thing they do is a look at the documents and go back to them. But then also to be try to change them, which is, you know, pretty much one of the most frustrating things that I've ever experienced in my career is, is having to deal with people who say, well, this, this document doesn't work for me. So I'm going to rewrite it because I have the votes. Um, the, uh, the other thing that really surprises me. Um, and so, you know, I'm such a positive person. I don't like to really go down a negative train, but how callous people are about the capital that they're given. So they they almost feel like they're entitled to investment. And a lot of times they're not respectful and um, can just really be wasteful of the capital and think, oh, you know, I'll go ahead and spend two or $3 million. And if it doesn't work out, I'll just go get a job. Well, you know, these are people's savings that you're talking about. These are, these are, these are pension fund dollars. These are teachers' retirement savings that people are just sort of, trying things with. And um, for me, that's one of the toughest things and the biggest surprises and things that have been hard for me to swallow. 
As you think back on your on your relatively young life, there's uh, something that you were told when you were very early, an early age, that influences your such positive thinking today, and in your firm and your organization. Fear not. You know, it's such a simple phrase, fear not, but it is something that has just driven me from day to day. You know, there are so many things that we we hesitate not to do because we have a fear of either maybe someone won't believe in us or or fear that something won't work out. And I wake up every single day. And if there's a little bit of fear that creeps into what I'm doing, I say, look, you know, Tracy, write, write down the pros and cons of this and make sure that you're not making a decision based on fear. And that's really been my guiding principle. And it's uh, it's led to a lot of success for us in the firm. It's it's all about the people and what how you treat how they treat them and they'll therefore they'll treat you better back or probably equally you know it's always that that story so so as we as we finish this fabulous uh, 35, 30 minutes uh, one it's been great to have you and I hope to see you real soon but is there any advice you can give to those who are trying to get into this business and and uh, what, what how they could get into it or how they could how they approach you or someone like you and to kind of your thoughts about how we build this. 2% to 10% to 20% to 30%. Absolutely. Well, one of the things that we're doing is we have an internship program. So we've had eight interns go through so far. So they're either working for us during the school year or during the summer. And they're getting a little bit of venture capital experience. They get to attend our Monday morning meetings, listen in on calls and do projects for us. And I'm really proud of that because seven of them have been diverse. And I'm sending those seeds out of people that have venture capital on their resume and and have some venture capital exposure. So even if they were to go into startup, they kind of know what it's like and how venture capitalists think, which is which is really terrific and, and something that we're we're going to continue to do. Um, but in terms of people thinking about getting into this business, Business, it's absolutely essential that you have some type of valuable experience, whether it's working for a startup. I, you know, I really think my time at an investment bank was incredible experience because it's a heck of a lot easier to put money into a company than it is to get it out. So learning that whole M&A process, I think, is really great um, or working for a VC firm. So get into the business some way, somehow, to, to, as, in some kind of job that is, is in the industry. Yeah, You have to create value and it has to be authentic. And I always say, follow the breadcrumbs. What feels right to you? What is your purpose? What is your strength? People have to be very aware of their strengths and lean into those. Don't worry about the things you can't do. You know, there's other people around you that have the strengths that can fill in for that. So really hone in on what your strengths are. And then you'll start to see what I call the breadcrumbs appear before you. They're going to be opportunities. And then you just have to be solid and awake enough to pick those opportunities up and run them. So when you get a call from some young person that says, I want to get into venture capital, I'd love to work for you. Do you, do you take the call? Oh, absolutely. You know, we, we look at a lot of cold, cold call resumes and uh, it's always fun to see what people are doing. Um, like anything, Neil, it is a trust business. So sure. if someone comes to us uh, that that we know that are automatically sets the stage for trust, you know, rather than someone, you know, in this in this era of cybersecurity, we we have to be a little bit careful about, about who we're taking on and who who we're letting into our systems, right? Fantastic, Tracy. Thanks so much for uh, this great interview. I've really enjoyed it, every minute of it. Thanks so much. So grateful. Thank you for all your support. Subscribe. Subscribe, comment, and share our show. Passing the mic, the VC Exchange. Visit neildempsey.com to connect. Neildempsey.com to connect. Mixed at Sound Lounge by T-Bone.